Welcome back to the Dirt Show. You're used to having me talk about subjects that are very controversial, gets lots of emails, people disagree, people agree. Tonight, I think I'm going to talk about something that we can all agree about, and that is the greatness of Bill Russell, the greatest basketball player in history and one of the greatest people um, in American history. I'm wearing my Celtics t-shirt to commemorate his long life and his uh, too early death. Um, I first met Bill in uh, 1964. I met him through my dear friend, Red Arbach. Uh, Red Arbach was a close friend of the judge for whom I clerked, Judge David Bazelon. And when I moved to Boston, I had never been in Boston. Uh, Red Arbach took me under his wing. Uh, he got me season tickets, paid for them, obviously, but season tickets right in the front row uh, of midcourt in the Celtics. I was actually in the, in the, in the uh, Boston Bruin penalty box. Um, that was the penalty box during the hockey games, but during the basketball games, they were right up in the front. I sat four rows in front of uh, Red Arbach, and we spent a lot of time talking. And in fact, when some of the players uh, later resigned, like uh, retired, like Larry Bird and uh, Bill Russell, they would come and sit next to Red Arbach, and Red would invite me up. He always had four seats that were his, and so he would often invite me up. So I got to sit next to Larry Bird. I got to sit next to Bill Russell, John Havlicek, Bob Cousy, all the, the great Celtics. I got to go into the locker room. On, on numerous occasions. And, and with, uh, with Bill Russell, I got to um, uh, sometimes have uh, a dinner with him, although he didn't eat it. Uh, before the game, Red uh, would invite um, the coaches, uh, some of the other people, the managers, seven or eight people to his office where he would always eat the same thing, a pastrami sandwich. In fact, I often got it for him from Ruben's Deli in, in, in and Brookline, Massachusetts, I would bring him the pastrami sandwich. Uh, 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 Bill would never have it, never touched the pastrami. It was before the game. And in fact, Bill Russell had a routine when he was playing. I met him in, in the office mostly when he was coaching and after he was coaching. But when he was playing, he would always, this sounds terrible, but it's true. He would always throw up before the game. Um, not so much out of being upset or nervous, but he wanted to cleanse himself because when he got on that field, you know, it was on that court. It was just so intensive. So, so amazing. I just want to show you, I have one um, piece of memorabilia that is very interesting. This is my seat from the Boston Garden, really uncomfortable, but nobody noticed. And it's signed by Bill Russell. And uh, it, it has a piece of the parquet floor um, that um, is famous in, in the Boston in the Boston Garden. So I went to Celtics games from 1964 until I retired from Harvard in 2015. I was told that I was the longest standing consecutive season ticket holder. I don't know whether that's uh, true, but I had my tickets for a long, long time, and I saw all all the great games. Um, let me start with the game that everybody knows about, of course. Havlicek stole the ball. It's over. It's over. Havlicek stole the ball. Remember that? <laughs> I was there. Um, and um, I don't want to start by putting Bill down, but people forget that the only reason Havlicek stole the ball is because Bill Russell made one of his few mistakes. What happened, they were playing Philadelphia, 
seventh game of the Eastern finals. Um, and um, the uh, Celtics were one point ahead and uh, they were about to win because they had the ball out of bounds under their own basket. And Bill Russell um, threw the ball in and he was going to throw it. He aimed it at one of the Celtics uh, players. And at that point, Philadelphia would have to foul the Celtics player to have any chance of winning. But Russell didn't see the wires. Any of you who are my age remember that basketball hoops used to be held up by wires and the wire is foul territory. And Russell threw the ball in. He threw it high and it hit the wire out of bounds. And Philadelphia got the ball with five seconds to go. And of course, everybody remembers what happened after that. It was inbounded, I think, by Hal Greer and Havlicek. What happened is he counted. He had his back to the basket. I remember it so vividly. He had his back to the player throwing in the ball as if he was asleep. And he was counting five, four, three, because he knew it had to be thrown in in five seconds. And at four, he jumped out and he grabbed the ball, threw it to somebody else. The game was over. And Bill Russell thanked Havlicek so much because Bill Russell would have been the GOAT, not the greatest of all time GOAT, but the GOAT of the game because he had thrown it into the wire. And so uh, John Havlicek rescued Bill Russell. Bill Russell on many occasions rescued not only Havlicek, but the whole team. I have never seen a basketball player um, have as much dominance as Bill Russell. And I am including, ever, I've, I've seen them all, obviously. I've seen Chamberlain, uh, I've seen uh, LeBron, I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen them all. I've seen many, many times Michael Jordan. No player determined the outcome of a game more than Bill Russell. Um, Bill was, as he was called, the Secretary of Defense. Um, he created uh, the kind of defense that became part of basketball. He, he was only, I think, 6'8 or 6'9. They called him 6'10, but he was a 6'8 or 6'9. But he had a wingspan that was enormous, an arm stretch that was enormous. And this was before some of the rules changed about standing in the paint. Uh, and he would stand essentially by the foul line, and you just couldn't get the ball in. And if you got it in and the guy got it, he would be there to block it. And then as soon as he blocked it, he didn't do what many other players did. Players blocked it and they swatted it away uh, out of bounds or just into the air. Not Bill. He tapped it to one of the Celtics who would then lead a fast break. And um, they changed the nature of basketball, uh, fast break basketball. It had been used in college. Somebody else I knew, Red Sarachek, who was a great friend of Red Auerbach, both redheads from Brooklyn, uh, Red Sarachek, who coached um, the Mighty Mites, the Yeshiva University basketball team, but was regarded as a legendary coach. He basically developed the, the, the uh, fast break, the way it was used for the next 20 years. And, and Red and he used to meet in the Catskill Mountains and, 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 and swap stories and scout players. And um, so, but without Bill Russell, what, what good would it have been? Bill Russell basically was the one who was able to create that way of scoring baskets. And, you know, Bill Russell only averaged 15 points a game, according to statistics. Let me tell you, he averaged 40 points a game. If you count the scores that he prevented from happening, 
if you count the blocks that would have gone in and give him credit for that, he probably was the highest scorer um, in, in modern history. Uh, he refused to keep score against Chamberlain. He and Chamberlain had a, obviously a rivalry and Chamberlain broke all the records and scored 100 points in a game. I wasn't there for that one, but he scored 100 points in a game. I did see him score 30 and 35 points in a game. But Bill Russell changed the score more than Chamberlain by his defensive play. Chamberlain was three inches taller than he was and, and bigger in every way. But it was Bill Russell who dominated, dominated the sport. Now, imagine you're Bill Russell and, you know, you grew up born in the South. You moved to the West Coast, as he did, plays for um, a West Coast team, which wins two championships and then gets drafted by Boston. It was Red Arbach's brilliance that got him drafted. He was pick number three. He was not uh, pick number one. Boston had only the third draft choice, but they got Russell. And um, he moves to Boston, which at the time was one of the most racist cities in America. I know because I moved there at a little, a little later. And it was dominated by, by guys like uh, Bulger, who Whitey Bulger's brother, younger brother, who uh, was the president of the Senate and the head of this and the head of that and, and the strongest opponent of desegregation in, in Boston. And, and Bill went through terrible things. I mean, his house was uh, broken into, uh, racist things were said to him. When he came back to the house uh, after it was broken into, the people didn't take his money. They destroyed his trophies. And pardon me for saying this, but it's true. They defecated in his his in his and his wife's bed, um, people yelled racial epithets at him on the court um, more than Jackie Robinson. I'm, I was there, too, with Jackie Robinson. I was in Brooklyn. I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan. I went to many Brooklyn Dodger games between 1947 and 1959 when I left uh, Brooklyn. Dodgers beat me. They left earlier, uh, but I stayed. Uh, and um, you'd hear racial slurs yelled at Jackie Robinson, particularly by opposing players uh, sitting in the dugout. And finally, Major League Baseball put a stop to that. But but uh, in Boston, it was the fans. And, and, and Bill Russell, for that reason, never wanted to establish a close relationship with the fans. As he told his daughter in a brilliant essay that the New York Times reproduced yesterday, um, I didn't play for Boston. He said, I played for the Celtics. Um, uh, and, and he did. And um, his daughter, Karen, went to Harvard uh, Law School. I know because I interviewed her and I took her around. And Bill, Bill Russell, came to Harvard and I took him to the library. Oh, the students after that just uh, loved me. I brought Bill Russell to Harvard Law School. And, and we went and he had, we had lunch in a Chinese restaurant in, in Harvard Square. And I'll never forget, Karen ordered what she ordered. I ordered my orange chicken, which I always order. And Bill Russell ordered two main dishes. And so I said, oh, Bill, thanks. You're ordering one for the table for us to share. Oh, no, Alan. No, no, no. It's for me. I'm big. I got to have two main dishes. I always have two main dishes. So he had his two main dishes. I had my orange chicken. And we went around Harvard Square and we went to Harvard Law School and I took him to my office. And... Um, and we spent time there together. We spent time together uh, in Red's office. We spent time together at All-Star Games. Um, he was not in, 
close friend, but he was an acquaintance and uh, he liked me. I liked him. Um, and I admired not only his skills. I was a basketball player. You won't believe that. I was a basketball player. I actually played in Madison Square Garden. Uh, I played for Yeshiva University High School, uh, Brooklyn Branch Boys Division. Um, and um, we didn't have a bad basketball team. We ended up winning the championship in our league. And we played against Manhattan Talmudical Academy, um, who won the championship in their league. And we played in the preliminary game before a Knickerbocker Syracuse Nats game. And I got to meet Dolph Shays and uh, Harry Gallatin and Braun and uh, uh, Sweetwater Clifton and uh, some of the great Knicks of the day. And the guy who I was <laughs> assigned to guard was another short little Jewish guard like, like me. His name was Ralphie Lipschitz. Um, you may have heard of him. He changed his name to Ralph Loren. Uh, and both he and I were kind of chasers on the zone. We didn't get to play much. We were subs. Um, but um, uh, he dressed very, very well. That, that I remember. Uh, but that's enough about my basketball skills. They were, you know, mediocre plus. Um, I can still hit a jump shot. Not much of a jump, but a shot from the corner. And I regularly beat my 27-year-old really athletic grandson because I just take that shot from the corner. And he, he just can't make that shot from the corner like I can. I don't know why. But I still love basketball. I love watching the games. I love playing the game. And I love rooting for, uh, for Bill Russell. Um, you know, I was so uh, honored to get to know the great, the great Celtics. I got to sit next to Larry Bird um, for part of a season when he was part of the managerial team and sat in the stands with Red Auerbach. I, I got to, to meet Havlicek and I got to meet, um, 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 obviously, uh, some, some of the other terrific, terrific players. Um, Bob Cousy is still, um, still around. Uh, he's probably in his 90s. Just a great guy. You know, Red Auerbach had a, had a, a talent. He said, the first thing I look for in a bull player, obviously, is the basic skills. The second thing I look for is intelligence. He said, I only want smart players. And he said, Russell was one of the smartest players he had. And the third thing I look for is character. He said, I want character. I want people who aren't out there, you know, drinking and drugging it up. I want people with character. I want people who come to um, uh, warm-ups. I want people who will show up on time. I want people who will support there are the teammates. And um, he got that in Bill Russell. Uh, Bill was quiet uh, when I knew him, but he was raging inside. He was raging against the, the racism of Boston and the racism around the rest of the, the country. He was an activist. He fought against uh, uh, racism. He was one of the few athletes who supported another one of my clients, Muhammad Ali. Uh, Muhammad Ali, the great uh, fighter, was um, refused to be drafted and lost his uh, titles and was threatened with jail. And I, I worked on his cert petition um, challenging uh, a search of his telephone or the wiretapping of his phone without authority. And Bill Russell supported him. A lot of athletes, including some African-American athletes, uh, didn't want to support Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was 
you know, a hard guy to support. He was such a, an egotist and so arrogant and, uh, you know, sting like a butterfly, float like a bee, or the opposite, yeah. Um, in any event, uh, but, but Bill Russell supported him, and uh, he also supported uh, the kneeling for the national anthem. I don't agree with that myself. I understand it. The third stanza of the national anthem is is, is uh, pro-slavery and and anti-black. Um, I wouldn't do it. I love America. I salute the flag. I don't say under God, by the way, when I salute the flag. I don't think that properly belongs in a pledge of allegiance in a country that has a First Amendment. But I say the rest of the pledge of allegiance, and um, I, I don't support kneeling for the flag. He did. Um, he sent a tweet of himself kneeling. Uh, when Kopernik was criticized and attacked for it. So he was not shy about expressing his, his views, um, and he uh, didn't allow him to influence his, his game. I mean, his game was sacrosanct. Um, he would do anything to, to win. Uh, he was also not a dirty player, um, you know, I remember Lambeer from the Detroit Pistons. We would boo him so loud because he was all elbows. Look, I once played basketball in the highest court in the land. Uh, that's the fifth floor of the Supreme Court. There's a basketball court up there. And I used to, not regularly, but occasionally play. Um, and one of the people who would play usually would be nine law clerks and one justice from time to time, Justice Byron White. Wizard White, who was an All-American football player, his problem as a basketball player is he didn't understand the difference between football and basketball. He, I, when I grew up, basketball wasn't a contact sport. Of course, you made contact, but it wasn't a contact. But I got an elbow in the mouth from Justice White, and I yelled out, "Silent, Mr. Justice!" And he said, "No, no, no. When you're on the court, you can yell what you want. I, I hit the other face." Shouldn't have done it. If this was a real game, you'd get a foul shot. So, you know, I love basketball. I love stories about basketball, some of which are actually true. Um, uh, and and, and um, I remember Bill Russell. I remember him so well. I remember, and, and I wish his, his daughter Karen and the rest of his family solace. And, you know, may you be consoled with good memories. What great memories. What a great man. Uh, I call him the goat of goats. Uh, he was the greatest of all time basketball player and maybe the greatest of all time athletes uh, in the modern uh, era. Uh, you can't compare somebody like that to Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth had no character, uh, didn't do anything for the world except play baseball. Ty Cobb was a racist. Um, you know, the, the but he Bill Russell was a great man in addition to being the greatest player, which is why I call him the goat of goats. And so his memory will be a blessing to all. And um, let's see if anybody else comes forward and can claim the title of goat in, in basketball. I think he earned it. I think he deserved it. He was the most transformative player in the history of basketball. He changed the sport for the better. It's changed again. It's a very different sport today uh, with offense dominating, his defense dominated, um, but uh, more transforming than any player in the history of basketball. Write me if you disagree. Give me your candidate. Who do you think the GOATs are? And uh, we'll have a good conversation about that at times to come. All right, let's turn to a couple of letters. You know, I don't want to diminish the memory of um, 
of Bill Russell by the negative letters that I get. But look, the show has always been divided into two. So the Bill Russell part of it is over. My son Elon is watching the computer. And if there are any issues that come forward on Bill Russell, I'm happy to talk about those. Anything yet, Elon? No. Okay, so let's get to the letters. Uh, For all your smarts, you're so wrong. You're so stupid. You can't see this election was stolen. You're an ostrich with a head in the sand. Open your freaking eyes. Watch 2,000 Mules. I watched 2,000 Mules. I like the guy who did 2,000 Mules. 2,000 Mules doesn't prove the election was stolen. 2,000 Mules proves there are problems with drop boxes and with uh, the way in which elections are conducted. But uh, uh, it doesn't even come close to proving that this election would have come out differently um, uh, had uh, there not been those uh, problems. I think there were problems. Pennsylvania was a problem. Uh, Pennsylvania shouldn't have allowed voters to vote after the legislatively imposed uh, deadline. There may have been problems in other places, but uh, it wouldn't have changed uh, the election in enough states to turn it around. And certainly the popular vote was overwhelming, I think close to uh, 8 million votes. What does Professor Dershowitz think about the Department of Justice FBI investigation of the Trump campaign toward 2016? I don't like it. I don't like FBI looking into um, political campaigns unless the evidence is just as clear as could be. Elections ought to be conducted without the, the, the aura of, of uh, prosecution. But who do you think was hurt most? Hillary Clinton was hurt most. Um, she may very well have lost the election, largely as a result of FBI Director uh, Comey making that ill-advised and violative of Justice Department rules statement in which he um, basically said what she did was wrong, even though she was not going to be indicted. That may have turned around enough votes to change uh, the election. Um, Who knows? There were other factors as well, too. But the Justice Department should stay out of elections while they're occurring. Ah. All right, then you do it once a show. Why has this incredibly vile and ugly pedophile been given a platform he belongs on death row. That's, that's what we need. You know, I have a number of uh, people who've written me letters. Um, one of the recent episodes you have lamented about how debate in America is now dead. We would love to have it back. Yeah, but, you know, this is what you're going to get when you have it back. Uh, just just name calling and lies and defamation. Um, part of me would love to sue people like this for defamation, but I have, I have better things to do with my time. Um, Thank you, Mr. Dershowitz, for a very interesting podcast. I truly appreciate the historical context. You know, it's interesting. I like doing the historical context. And a number of people write to me and thank me for it. A number of people say, no, it's boring. They don't want to hear that. They just want to hear screaming and yelling about the current election. Again, 80%, maybe, maybe a little bit more of my mail has to do with how Trump won the election and how how any idiot knows that and how you could ever imagine that uh, Biden would have won the election, even though he won by almost 8 million votes and and overwhelmingly in the Electoral College. But that's most of my letters. I only read one or two of them. I, I ignore the rest of them, but that's most of the mail. That's not debate. That's just, you know, letting off steam. Okay, as an independent, that is not a GOP or Dem, and having actively campaigned for candidates on both sides, I commend you for your objective analysis of the important issues of the days. Thank you. Question. 
Do you think that both Biden and Harris can be impeached for the border crisis? No, uh, it's not even a close question. In order to be impeached, you have to commit treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. The Democrats tried to change that, tried to allow impeachment on the grounds of abuse of power, which would mean that uh, 90% of American presidents could be impeached, or obstruction of Congress, which are vague, vague, vague terms. The Constitution says it has to be treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. You can argue what does other misdemeanors mean, but it doesn't mean having a difference in policy over the border wall in uh, Mexico. It, it doesn't mean any of that. Uh, you know, I, wrote, I gave a striking example in one of my books and people attacked me all over the place. If a president, we don't have to imagine it's Trump or Biden, gets a call from Putin and says, you know, I really think Alaska should have never gone to America. It was a mistake. Uh, could we get a do-over? Uh, would you like to give Alaska back to us? Uh, and in exchange, we'll, you know, send you some oil. If a president decided to do that, of course, he'd be immediately not elected and everybody would hate him and it would be the stupidest thing. It wouldn't be impeachable. It's not a crime of any kind. It's, uh, it's not an abuse of power. The president has the right, Jefferson had the right to buy Louisiana. Another president has the right to sell Alaska. Should they do it? Of course, they shouldn't do it. Should the Constitution be amended? Yeah, it probably should be amended. It probably should be broader criteria for impeachment. If a president really does abuse power and there are specifics as to what he did to abuse power and legally unlawfully, yeah, I, I, I would vote for that constitutional amendment, but I can't vote for a current impeachment or support a current impeachment, which violates the Constitution. You know, people say, oh, impeachment is whatever a majority of the House decides and whatever two thirds of the Senate convicts on. No. No, senators and congressmen take an oath of office to support the Constitution. The Constitution says there are criteria for impeachment, treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors, unless one of those criteria is met. It is unconstitutional to impeach. And if a president were to be impeached on that ground, he might not leave the House. He might not leave the White House and might say, no, I'm not doing it. Uh, it was an unconstitutional uh, impeachment. So, you know, transitions of power are, are great and important but only if they're constitutional. Now, in this case, um, the election was fair and the transfer of powers should have occurred, uh, though I don't blame lawyers for challenging it. I challenged the 2000 um, uh, election um, on behalf of the voters of Palm Beach County, who, as the result of a illegal butterfly ballot, were denied the right to vote for a candidate they wanted to vote for. So I don't I don't think that uh, Rudy Giuliani or any of the other lawyers should be disbarred uh, for having stretched their lawsuits. That's what that's what lawyers uh, do and courts strike them down for doing it. That's the way the process works. But disbarment um, because you disagree with what a lawyer did is, is not to me the right approach. OK. I am very worried that they will finally come up with some phony accusation that will be acted upon and Trump will be prevented from running again. If this happens, it will be up to us to save America. Well, by what means? I mean, what are you going to do if that happens? Uh, I think it would be unconstitutional. Uh, as you know, the 14th Amendment does provide uh, the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments were basically the Civil War treaties of peace, does provide that. Uh, a person who is guilty of insurrection can't hold office 
in the United States. Uh, you know, Jefferson Davis and, um, and uh, Judah Benjamin couldn't run for the Senate in, in South Carolina or, or Louisiana. But that provision was there for a real insurrection, for uh, a war, a civil war. Remember how it started? Confederate troops fired on an American fort, Fort Sumter. I've always thought, and this is again some history, what if? What if in, instead of firing on Fort Sumter, the leaders of the Confederacy, Lee and, and Benjamin Davis, had said, look, we just want to separate. And they wrote a Declaration of Independence modeled on our Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for some states to secede from other states, it's called the United States of America, but we've decided to secede. Would Lincoln have invaded? Would he have started the war instead of responding to the attack on Fort Sumter? It's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting question. What was illegal about what the South did? Uh, obviously, attacking the United States was treason. Uh, you picked up arms. That's the definition of treason, took arms against the United States. But what if they hadn't done that? What if they had simply voted to secede and issued a Declaration of Independence that was immediately supported by some European countries as it would have been? Because remember, some of the European countries did support the, the, the South and some were happy that the United States was so divided. It was a terrible, horrible war. It killed so many Americans. And uh, what would have happened if there had been no invasion of Fort Sumter, but attack on Fort Sumter, but instead simply a declaration of secession. I don't know the answer to that question. Do you? If you do, write to me and let me know. While you make some good points on why Trump shouldn't or won't be indicted, the fact that we are even discussing this possibility speaks volumes. No, uh, I think that we should be discussing this. Uh, what President Trump did uh, was wrong. Um, he should not have made a speech saying we have to fight like hell at a time when people were going to the Capitol. I would have advised him if he had asked my advice, obviously. He didn't ask my advice. Um, I would have advised him not to make that speech. I would have advised him to immediately, as soon as he saw that people were entering the Capitol, say, no, no, stay out. Don't do it. You're not following my orders. I asked you to protest peacefully and patriotically, not illegally. No, he sh should have done that sooner. All of that is true, but it doesn't make it a crime for him to have either done what he did or failed to do what he didn't do. He should have done it. He shouldn't have done the speech. But the line between doing something wrong and doing something criminal is a very important line that must be preserved at all costs. And I think a lot of people uh, on the left, a, a lot of people are crossing that line improperly. And, and so I, I hope that there will not be uh, a criminal charges brought. By the way, I hope the same thing about Hunter Biden, unless you can find smoking guns or, or clear proof. But I don't like targeting people. I don't like Republicans targeting Democrats, Democrats targeting Republicans. People should be investigated. And if the investigation turns out evidence of crime, that's one thing. But if you go looking for evidence of crime after you've targeted somebody, then you're Levrenti Beria speaking to Stalin saying, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. We never want to become that country. See you tomorrow.